Okay, hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and I'm live, and today is the 15th of September. Hard to imagine, half of September already passed. I hope you're enjoying the very nice weather. I think it's a little warm for most Septembers, but it's okay. I think uh, my neighbors have closed their pools, so uh, not that I was using it, but um, we are moving into more of the fall. Gets dark earlier at 7 o'clock or so, and you go to work. Very pleasant today, yesterday, 6.30 in the morning. It's in the high 50s, early 60s. High 50s, early, low 60s, not early 60s, low 60s. So anyway, um, a few things. Our newsletter came out today, the 15th of the month. We have newsletters 15th and 30th or 31st. So that has a lot of good information for you. We are, um, I, we are putting up a lot of information on the the website growing constantly and then on Facebook, YouTube, every place else. Um, and then of course, things like Facebook Live. We have published a bunch of articles on some of the work we're doing and how we're trying to meet the needs of you guys, our audience, and what we're learning by looking at statistics. And so it's, if you want, um, a lot of the references are online. You can read them. It's kind of interesting. I think social media, particularly social media as a way of doing education has uh, never been stronger. There's an article from Steve Wolf Pereira, hopefully I said it right, in JACR, just released a few days ago. They got a lot of really good coverage. Uh, the article he wrote with us, Steve Rowe and myself, a really good article about how he looks at education and how really his focus is on education for little kids. I'm looking for an Encanto's book here, but I can't reach one while I'm sitting here. But um, how, how we do education for kids who really uh, are, you know, the, the um, iPads, the iPhones, and all the devices and all the network connectivity have been there their entire lives. And they're not very impressed by it. And they know how to use it without thinking very hard. I know from my own grandchildren. But I think the point is that how we do training is going to change also because although we think we know really the, the way to train, uh, it's a different group of people, and so perhaps we need to do things differently. Uh, one can argue, uh, I mean, many of us are for sitting next to the fellow, next to the resident, going over cases, as opposed to doing things remotely, where I'm not sure people pay as much attention. But, you know, a lot of people want to be remote. I don't know, but I think, I know from our residents and fellows, it's one thing being remote when you're reading, it's another thing being remote when you're learning. I think as a learner, remote is not great. Now I will admit we do a lot of things remote that probably will not go back. I do my case conference for faculty and fellows residents on Wednesday. We get 50-ish people pre-COVID when we were in a room we had to go to that room. Many of our faculty remote any one day. Uh, residents, fellows, someone's covering CT, ultrasound, MR, plain film, everything else, fluoro. We'd get 10-12 people out of like 20-ish from our faculty, but the fellows couldn't come because they were in conf they were watching the scanner when we were in conference. Residents couldn't come. So, but now you have fellows, you have residents, you have faculty who are late, who have left. We're more organized. Everybody can see the case as well. It's very crisp. I'm not picking it up um, in the PAC system and then scrolling through. I have all the slides picked. And many of you see those cases as well. Of course, every third week, and next week is one of those weeks, uh, we, uh, we do a case quiz conference, which is the cases 
I pull some of them, I do about 25 cases a week. Uh, I pull about 10 of them and we do our case conference. So uh, there are many things like that where COVID has been really good. I gave a talk the other day to the legal folks at Hopkins on AI, which was great. But when I accepted, I assumed it was remote. And the only reason it makes a difference to me is I, uh, 11 to 12 on Tuesdays, I do Pancras conference and this was gonna be 12 to one. So it was no big deal, log off, log on. But they said, oh no, we want you to do it by the Marriott Hotel, which is near Hopkins, but it's a 15 to 20 minute walk. So I had to have them change the time of my talk from 12 to 12.30. Cause I had to walk 15 or 20 minutes to get there. Normally I just switch my chair this way or this way, and I would just press another button and I'd be there. So in terms of efficiency, Yesterday I had six meetings. They were about an hour long and then I had a couple that was shorter and I had other things. I never left this chair. I was getting splinters from sitting on this chair. And this chair is not even made of wood. But it makes the point that in some ways being uh, on Zoom is the most efficient way of doing things. It may not be the most effective way. Um, and for junior people, it may not be the best way because they don't get to know people coming to places like Hopkins or any place else, whatever your practice is, is really getting to know people. Many kids have complained they went to college, they went to grad school, and for three years they didn't really meet anybody. You go to Harvard Business School, you go to Stanford Business School, you go to many places to learn, but it's also to make contacts. If you're not meeting people, you're not making content, contacts, and those contacts may be very important, not only today for you, but for your future. You don't make contacts on Zoom. No one is really paying quite as much attention. And you can't just say, hey, Steve, what's happening? If you know it, maybe you can. But you can't really do that because it'll be like a bedlam. There'll be people screaming and hollering and it'll be just total madness. So you tend to say nothing. The meeting starts, everybody here, oh yeah, everyone's here, okay, let's start. Meeting ends, okay, thank you very much, see you next week, boom. So it's not the best thing. It may be the best thing possible at this time, but I think so many people have gotten used to it, it may be hard to change because again, as medicine gets more distributed, we're at Hopkins, we're at Bayview, we're at outpatient centers in Columbia and in Baltimore. Also, even on campus, the cancer center is far from Jayhawk, which is far from the hospital, so everything is on an L shape, but you know, it's not really that easy. And if you're busy, you know, you could come onto a conference and listen for a little bit, and then drop off if necessary. If you go to the conference, you're committing not only the hour of the conference, but you're committing 10 minutes to get there and 10 minutes to get back and 10 minutes to twiddle around. So the hour becomes an hour and a half. So it may not be the best thing. Now, I'm just not sure how you get around it all and how you bring back the humanity. Dave Hellman was in my office yesterday. Dave was the director of Bayview for several decades. And now he's focusing us on patient care, research, and things he's built and continues to build. CIM, which is a consortium of uh, people, that sounds bad, consortium of physicians and non-physicians, that sounds better, trying to tackle great healthcare issues. Dave is one of the big people who spoke at our speaker series, his article is coming out, JCR and is impressed now, but his thing was that medicine's a public trust. You know, we need, medicine's just not a job. It's not like 
working at 7-Eleven, not that there's anything wrong with working at 7-Eleven or working at the Catskills as a busboy, nothing wrong with working at the Catskills as a busboy, but I think Dave's point is medicine is a public trust and we need to treat it as such. We need to make certain that we do things correctly and I think Dave's working on how we can do that and how you could really revitalize the whole process and really train the next generation of clinicians so they're more than just prescribing drugs or looking at lab values, that they have the humanity of the patient at heart. So that's something. Now, I just realized I spoke for eight minutes and 35 seconds. I haven't spoken about lymphoma. So let me tell you a little bit about lymphoma. I think this is lymphoma month. Uh, we see lots of lymphoma cases at Hopkins. The good news with lymphoma, new chemotherapies, patients are doing substantially better, much better cure rate and the like. CT is often used for looking at lymphoma. Now, just some things to remind people. When you want to look for lymphoma, you need IV contrast, and probably oral contrast would be helpful. When you're looking at the chest, the supraclav regions, axillary, mediastinum, internal mammary nodes, we're looking for the presence of nodes. And lymphoma, typically, uh, the nodes are large, looking at subcarinal region, hyalur regions. In the abdomen, lymphoma is a bit trickier. It can involve any organ. Sometimes it could be in the spleen, and the spleen may simply look enlarged. Sometimes you see more focal lesions. Lymphoma can only, only involve the spleen, primary splenic lymphoma, big spleen, low density. Lymphoma can involve the liver. So one of the causes of focal lesions in liver and spleen, sarcoid, metastatic melanoma, lymphoma. Lymphoma can also involve the adrenals. You can have primary adrenal lymphoma. Huge adrenals which maintain their triangular shape or just bilateral adrenal masses. That's something else to consider. The kidneys, solitary masses, usually hypovascular, multiple masses, diffuse infiltration, extension into the perirenal space, extension from the perirenal space, involvement of perirenal space and perioid space, nodes in the mesentery, encasement of the mesenteric vessels, the infiltration, the so-called sandwich sign, bowel wall thickening, focal masses, masses with alteration, ulceration, multiple masses, large conglomerate masses growing in and grabbing the bladder versus primary tumors from the bladder. So lymphoma can be confused with adenocarcinoma, also potentially a gist tumor. Again, you want to be very careful. Another thing with lymphoma, since it involves so many organs, you have to read carefully. Yes, you see lots of nodes, but what about the liver? What about the spleen? What about the kidneys? What about the bowel? All of those things you need to answer so you indeed need to be very, very careful when you look at patients with lymphoma on CT. Again, in the abdomen and pelvis, you're looking for nodes, common is mesenteric nodes. Uh, the sandwich sign, vessels encased by nodes, is a classic thing. So we, we know that. And again, it's important, you know, lymphoma seems easy to look very carefully. Challenges can be small nodes, though lymphoma tends to be larger nodes. IV contrast is mandatory, staging dual phase is great, oral is very helpful, particularly positive oral at times. Perry Pinkard wrote an article about that, how it's very easy to miss small bowel lymphoma because it's infiltrative and you really can't see it in a patient with little fat. And so positive contrast as well as IV contrast, so positive oral, positive IV are all things that can be done to help you with lymphoma, to diagnose it correctly. Again, follow-ups become important. Patients often can respond quickly. Uh, patients can have complications, bulky tumor, particularly with bowel involvement. 
because of rapid decrease in size, you can get ulcerations, you can get GI bleeding, you can get perforation. All things we do worry about and all things you need to think about. Uh, we also look carefully at the bone and muscle. Often you can have extensive bone and muscle involvement, but usually the patient has extensive disease in general. But sometimes the only process you see is primary lymphoma bone, a flat bone, the iliac bone. Um, in cases, sometimes uh, PET scanning is done. PET's very good for lymphoma, picking up adenopathy, picking up neural disease, and so maybe you, you, you don't get blindsided by missing something. But usually CT works well enough alone. So I'll be showing some lectures, working on some stuff on CTSS for that, and I hope you follow us there. So let me stop then, if no one has any questions. Issa Malamin, hey Lidiana. Well, Lidiana, I gotta speak. Lidiana's just back from across the ocean, back home in California, Palo Alto. Hey Lidiana. Um, and Issam, I don't know where it's from. But um, hope everyone's doing okay. And um, if you have any questions, just write to us. If you have any suggestions, things we should cover, definitely please write to us. And if not, I wish everybody a great day. See you later, alligator.